Chapter 11 The Ordeal of Richard Feverell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Ordeal of Richard Feverell by George Meredith. Chapter 11 Of all the chief actors in the Bakewell comedy, Master Ripton Thompson awaited the fearful morning which was to decide Tom's fate, in dolefulest mood, and suffered the gravest mental terrors. Adrian, on parting with him, had taken casual occasion to speak of the position of the criminal in modern Europe, assuring him that international treaty now did what universal empire had aforetime done and that among Atlantic barbarians now, as among the Scythians of old, an offender would find precarious refuge and an emissary haunting him. In the paternal home, under the roofs of law, and removed from the influence of his conscienceless young chief, the staggering nature of the act he had put his hand to, its awful felonious aspect overwhelmed Ripton. He saw it now for the first time, why it's next to murder he cried out to his amazed soul and wandered about the house with a prickly skin thoughts of america and commencing life afresh as an innocent gentleman had crossed his disordered brain he wrote to his friend richard proposing to collect disposable funds and embark in case of tom's breaking his word or of accidental discovery he dared not confide the secret to his family, as his leader had sternly enjoined him to avoid any weakness of that kind, and being by nature honest and communicative, the restriction was painful, and melancholy fell upon the boy. Mama Thompson attributed it to love. The daughters of Parchment rallied him concerning Miss Clare Forey his hourly letters to Raynham, and silence as to everything and everybody there, his nervousness and unwanted propensity to sudden inflammation of the cheeks, were set down for sure signs of the passion. Miss Letitia Thompson, the pretty and least parchmenty one, destined by her papa for the heir of Raynham, and perfectly aware of her brilliant future, up to which she had, since Ripton's departure, dressed and grimaced, and studied cadences, the latter with such success, though not yet fifteen, that she languished to her maid, and melted the small factotum footman. Miss Letty, whose insatiable thirst for intimations about the young heir Ripton could not satisfy, tormented him daily in revenge, and once, quite unconsciously, gave the lad a fearful turn, for after dinner— when Mr. Thompson read the paper by the fire, preparatory to sleeping at his accustomed post, and Mama Thompson and her submissive female brood sat tasking the swift intricacies of the needle, and emulating them with the tongue, Miss Letty stole behind Ripton's chair, and introduced between him and his book the Latin initial letter, large and illuminated, of the theme she supposed to be absorbing him, as it did herself. The unexpected vision of this accusing captain of the alphabet, this resplendent and haunting A, fronting him bodily, 
threw Ripton straight back in his chair, while Gilt, with her ancient indecision what color to assume on detection, flew from red to white, from white to red, across his fallen chaps. Letty laughed triumphantly. Amour, the word she had in mind, certainly has a connection with arson. But the delivery of a letter into Master Ripton's hands furnished her with other and likelier appearances to study, for scarce had Ripton plunged his head into the missive than he gave way to violent transports such as the healthy-minded little damsel, for all her languishing cadences, deemed she really could express were a downright declaration to be made to her. The boy did not stop at table. Quickly recollecting the presence of his family, he rushed to his own room, and now the girl's ingenuity was taxed to gain possession of that letter. She succeeded, of course, she being a huntress with few scruples, and the game unguarded. With the eyes of amazement she read this foreign matter. Dear Ripton, if Tom had been committed I would have shot old Blaze. Do you know my father was behind us that night, when Claire saw the ghost, and heard all we said before the fire burst out? It is no use trying to conceal anything from him. Well, as you are in an awful state, I will tell you all about it. After you left Ripton, I had a conversation with Austin, and he persuaded me to go down to old Blaze and ask him to help off Tom. I went, for I would have done anything for Tom, after what he said to Austin, and I defied the old Charles to do his worst. Then he said if my father paid the money, and nobody had tampered with his witnesses, he would not mind if Tom did get off, and he had his chief witness in, called the Bantam, very like his master, I think, and the Bantam began winking at me tremendously, as you say, and said he had sworn he saw Tom Bakewell, but not upon oath. He meant not on the Bible. He could swear to it, but not on the Bible. I burst out laughing, and you should have seen the rage old Blaze was in. It was splendid fun. Then we had a consultation at home. Austin, Rady, my father, Uncle Algernon, who has come down to us again, and your friend in prosperity and adversity, R.D.F., my father said he would go down to old Blaze and give him the word of a gentleman we had not tampered with his witnesses. And when he was gone, we were all talking, and Rady says he must not see the farmer. I am as certain as I live that it was Rady bribed the bantam. Well, I ran and caught up my father and told him not to go in to old Blaze, but I would and eat my words and tell him the truth. He waited for me in the lane, Never mind what passed between me and old Blaze. He made me beg and pray of him not to press it against Tom, and then, to complete it, he brought in a little girl, a niece of his, and says to me, She's your best friend, after all, and told me to thank her, a little girl, twelve years of age. What business had she to mix herself up in my matters? Depend upon it, Ripton. Wherever there is mischief, there are girls, I think." She had the insolence to notice my face and ask me not to be unhappy. I was polite, of course, but I would not look at her. Well, the morning came, and Tom was had up before Sir Miles Papworth. It was Sir Miles Gout gave us the time, or Tom would have been had up before we could do anything. 
Adrian did not want me to go, but my father said I should accompany him, and held my hand all the time. I shall be careful about getting into these scrapes again. When you have done anything honorable, you do not mind but getting among policemen and magistrates makes you ashamed of yourself. Sir Miles was very attentive to my father and me, and dead against Tom. We sat beside him, and Tom was brought in. Sir Miles told my father that if there was one thing that showed a low villain, it was Rick Burning. What do you think of that? I looked him straight in the face, and he said to me he was doing me a service in getting Tom committed and clearing the country of such fellows, and Rady began laughing. I hate Rady. My father said his son was not in haste to inherit and have estates of his own to watch, and Sir Miles laughed too. I thought we were discovered at first. Then they began the examination of Tom. The tinker was the first witness, and he proved that Tom had spoken against old Blaze and said something about burning his rick. I wished I had stood in the lane to Bursley with him alone. Our country lawyer we engaged for Tom cross-questioned him, and then he said he was not ready to swear to the exact words that had passed between him and Tom. I should think not. Then came another, who swore he had seen Tom lurking about the farmer's grounds that night. Then came the bantam, and I saw him look at Rady. I was tremendously excited, and my father kept pressing my hand. Just fancy my being brought to feel that a word from that fellow would make me miserable for life, and he must perjure himself to help me. That comes of giving way to passion. My father says when we do that, we are calling in the devil as doctor. Well, the bantam was told to state what he had seen, and the moment he began, Rady, who was close by me, began to shake, and he was laughing, I knew, though his face was as grave as Sir Miles. You never heard such a rigmarole, but I could not laugh. He said he thought he was certain he had seen somebody by the rick, and it was Tom Bakewell, who was the only man he knew, who had a grudge against Farmer Blaze, and if the object had been a little bigger, he would not mind swearing to Tom, and would swear to him, for he was dead certain it was Tom only what he saw, looked smaller, and it was pitch dark at the time. He was asked what time it was he saw the person steal away from the rick, and then he began to scratch his head and said supper time. Then they asked what time he had supper, and he said nine o'clock by the clock, and we proved that at nine o'clock Tom was drinking in the alehouse with the tinker at Bursley, and Sir Miles swore and said he was afraid he could not commit Tom, and when he heard that, Tom looked up at me, and I say he is a noble fellow, and no one shall sneer at Tom while I live. Mind that. Well, Sir Miles asked us to dine with him, and Tom was safe, and I am to have him and educate him, if I like, for my servant, and I will, and I will give money to his mother and make her rich, and he shall never repent he knew me. I say, Rip, the bantam must have seen me. It was when I went to stick in the Lucifer's. As we were all going home from Sir Miles at night, he had lots of red-faced daughters, but I did not dance with them, though they had music and were full of fun, and I did not care to. I was so delighted, and almost let it out. When we left and rode home, Rady said to my father the bantam was not such a fool as he was thought, 
and my father said one must be in a state of great personal exaltation to apply that epithet to any man and Rady shut his mouth and i gave my pony a clap of the heel for joy i think my father suspects what Rady did and does not approve of it and he need not have done it after all and might have spoiled it i have been obliged to order him not to call me ricky for he stops short at rick so that everybody knows what he means my dear austin is going to south america my pony is in capital condition my father is the cleverest and best man in the world claire is a little better i am quite happy i hope we shall meet soon my dear old rip and we will not get into any more tremendous scrapes will we i remain your sworn friend richard doria feverell p s i am to have a nice river yacht good-bye rip mind you learn to box mind you are not to show this to any of your friends on pain of my displeasure n b lady b was so angry when i told her that i had not come to her before she would do anything in the world for me i like her next best to my father and austin good-bye old rip poor little letitia after three perusals of this ingenuous epistle where the laws of punctuation were so disregarded resigned it to one of the pockets of her brother ripton's best jacket deeply smitten with the careless composer and so ended the last act of the bakewell comedy in which the curtain closes with sir austin's pointing out to his friends the beneficial action of the system in it from beginning to end End of chapter 11